You live out over the plate with a big arm. Guys get their arms extended. And the ball travels. And that one is gone. The first career home run for Jonathan India. And fitting that helmet full as soon as he rounded first. The flow show is on. And the Reds have tied the game. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Rambling on Gambling. Um, this is your host, Big Three, along here with Greg Propovich. Um, once again, we'd just like to thank our sponsor, Shot Quality Bets. And yeah, lots to talk about today, mostly in the baseball sphere. But a few weeks ago on our first podcast, Greg, you talked a little bit about two teams that you thought were, were poised to make a run here post-All-Star break, uh, those teams being the Yankees and the Phillies. And looking through the first few weeks here of the second half of the season, both those teams looking good. Are you feeling good about your futures there? How are we feeling about the Yankees and the Phillies? Feels good, man. Uh, I think we nailed this here on our inaugural pod. Yanks are seven and two in August, league best 15 and six in their last 21 games. And, uh, you know, sure the trade deadline, Additions helped a good bit, but we did say there was a strong likelihood that did something to bolster the roster at the deadline. Um, that being said, the immediate future does look a little bleak for the Bronx Bombers. Dirt Cole out with COVID, Rizzo out with COVID, uh, just as Gary Sanchez was like finally starting to do something at the plate. He got hurt. Glaber Torres is out with the thumb now, so... It's just been a, a musical chairs of injuries for the Yankees. But, uh, you know, they hit a, a favorable part of their schedule. We saw it coming, and uh, they beat the teams they're supposed to beat. And looking ahead now, they, they usually uh, whip the, the Royals around a good bit. They just won the first game in that series tonight and have two more with them. And then they'll probably have their hands full with the White Sox one game with the Angels, a makeup game, and then three with Boston at home, who's obviously just free-falling right now. So, uh, I mean, the Rays are still playing really well also, but I think there's a strong likelihood they get into the wild card game at the very least. And my uh, <laughs> 22 to one World Series ticket has a little left. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when we looked at this post all-star break, right, I think Yankees were eight games behind the Red Sox. If I remember right, this would be a few weeks ago. And now you look at obviously a whole nother component to that equation with the Rays and how well they're playing. But I mean, the Yankees are now two games behind the Red Sox, right? So you take the Rays out of the equation. They pretty much close that entire gap here. Um, in a few weeks, we talked a lot about the Red Sox pitching just not being able to hold. Um, obviously, it hasn't been right. And I think that that was something that was pretty predictable and something that we just could tell was not sustainable. You look at the Yankees, obviously had probably the best trade deadline of anyone in that division. A tight division too, right? Because you have the Blue Jays right there. Um, who scares yeah. you the most? Those You got Rays are up four games right now. Red Sox in second, Yankees six games back, and Blue Jays seven games back. As Yankees future holder, which which of those teams is the one that gives you the most fear? It's the Blue Jays for sure. Um, I think 
you know, Boston's lineup is really good. But like you said, we we saw the crumbling of their pitching coming. Uh, the bullpen also just gave up a soul-crushing uh, 7-2 lead in Toronto. The, the other day they got swept in that series. Toronto is really um, – has a good juju to that team, man. They just moved back to their home field, got all of Canada behind them, and the lineup is just impossible to navigate, man. I mean, Springer is just like in World Series form at the top of the lineup. He's been maybe the hottest hitter in baseball since uh, since August 1st. And then, you know, after that, you have to navigate Vlad, Simeon, Bo Bichette, and then even though they're five through eight is like Teoscar Hernandez, who's liable to go yard at any moment that uh, they, they rotate a bunch of guys like Richick, Lourdes, Goriel, uh, Kirk and, and um, Kirk doing a lot of the catching uh, Spinal or uh, yeah, Spinal providing some speed. So, I mean, there's just uh, uh, absolute, <laughs> absolute gauntlet to navigate in that lineup and the pitching got better, man. I mean, I'm not a huge Berrios guy. In fact, I thought that trade was, was not good for them giving up uh, Woods Richardson, who's a huge prospect in their, in their system. But that said, I mean, um, they needed to bolster their pitching and they did. I, I also don't particularly care for Brad hand, but I think a lot of the playoffs is just, uh, not not as much as an arms race, but like having the longest arsenal and having the most arms in your bullpen. And uh, the Blue Jays definitely added a few. So they them and the A's, I think, are, are the biggest uh, competition to the Yankees in the wild card. We'll see what happens. But um, yeah, it should be a great pennant race. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said there, a lot of value too. And just like, at this point, some of these teams in contention, you just add a lot of arms and hope that you can figure something out in the playoffs, right? Like you can just throw guys in random innings and hope for the best. I'm pretty sure the Blue Jays picked up a couple um, relievers too. I guess it was like almost a couple months ago from the Brewers, right, in that trade. Um, and so the addition of Brad Hand. For our boy, Rowdy Telez. Exactly, yeah. So the addition of Brad Hand, certainly not going to hurt there. Um it's like you don't I don't know it's it's not it's not really going to turn many heads I guess but no. just like You're, the more arms you can get especially with the bats that they have obviously like it's just not going to hurt anything and if he doesn't he's yeah. not pitching well you just like don't pitch him right Here, here's the way to look, look at it right like he's going to blow some games he already has blown some games and it'll get attention because he's kind of a high profile name but the fact is that if he wasn't blowing the game, someone else, uh, a lesser cal- caliber pitcher, probably would be. When Brad Hand is on, he's can be tough to hit. So you know, you, you just kind of hope you get the good, uh, the good hand, and go from there. But um, I, if if it wasn't him, it would be some no name like you know Rafael Dolis, who doesn't have the experience, and uh, it's just like not someone I want to be trusting in a, in a playoff game yeah. way that you're trying it's, to down. Especially so. against a team like the Rays, right? Or some of these other teams that are going to have super deep bullpens. And now you look at 
Astros that obviously added um, a little bullpen depth here too. Um, what do you think as we talk about that, um, the AL postseason race, what do you think about the A's trade deadline? The, some of the moves they had, I know you, you have some strong opinions there on, on wow. some of the things that they did at the deadline. You know, it was, it was a very bittersweet deadline for me. Uh, as you know, BM, the A's are kind of my adopted AL team. I've, I got family out there, been to a bunch of playoff games and, and really love the, the consummate underdog, <laughs> underpaid uh, payroll team that they are. And they're just shithole in the stadium. But uh, I've, I've had a bit of a man crush on Zeus Lazardo for the past three years and was devastated to see him go. I didn't realize he went to Parkland to, to uh, Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, which was obviously the site of the tragic school shooting a few years back. But um, so I get, I guess I'm somewhat happy for him to return home and be able to play in front of his family and friends. But man, I love that kid. I think he's special. He's going to be a stud and, I was really sad to see him go. That said, I think starting Marte is kind of exactly what uh, that team needed. And I think uh, even more so the understated signings of Jan Gomes and Josh Harrison are going to do wonders. I mean, both those guys are just such A's type guys, right? Like journeymen who've been on several teams kind of platoonish guys who might not play every day, but seem to make an impact whenever they do. It's just like totally, totally fits the money ball mold. And I think Josh Harrison is just one of the best clubhouse guys there is in baseball. Uh, everyone, every, everywhere he's played, all his teammates have, have raved about him as, as a clubhouse guy. And Gomes got a, got a huge hit the other day um, in, in that uh, I can't remember who they were playing, but it was extra innings and uh, huge comeback win where Matt Olson walked it off in the following inning after Gomes tied it with two outs, I believe, and uh, the time the time run on second. So it's so already earned as Kelly Green, and I, I think both those guys have a chance to make a real impact in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, in addition to those guys, right, you pick up Chafin um, from the Cubs to a bullpen that, I mean, obviously needed a little bit of help there too. So I think once again, a few, I mean, obviously very much buyers at the deadline, probably as they should have been, but yeah, but pretty big buyers. moves there for sure. Bargain buyers, the, the Oakland way, right? Exactly. So yeah, we, wait, well, but we got to talk a little fills here, bro. Uh, eight game win streak, haven't lost in August. I mean, this was the other team we said could get hot. They've overtaken the Mets for first place in the NL East, which is which is just a tragic division, really. Uh, it seems like nobody wants it, but Bills are stepping up, man. They're averaging 6.9 runs a game in that span. Uh, it feels like an 8 0 uh, winning streak in the NL East is like. 100 no. I mean, that division is, is so bad. I, I feel like Philadelphia should throw the Phillies a parade. But also, it, it seems like uh, there's a lot of Bryce Harper MVP buzz going around the league. Uh, the, the fanatic is, is popping, man. He's back. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you look at that um, 
that division, like you said, just terrible. And the Phillies even leading the division have a negative run differential, right? It's, it's just really, really hard to look at. Now you see not only did the Mets get passed by the Phillies over the last week, but also the Braves who, I mean, <laughs> the Braves being two games back just seems insane to me because it really just has felt like they've not been good this year. Like I really, it does not seem like they should be in a division race. Right. And likely in either of the other divisions, obviously the central or the West, they're not in the division race, but it is crazy that they find themselves now 110 games into the season, only two games back, because I feel like at this point in time, right. You look at the Phillies who are obviously hot, the Braves who are, who've been playing pretty well too. It's like, I don't know. I don't see any way the Mets come out of, out of that division at this point. Like there's two teams, those two teams with a lot of momentum and now both ahead of the Mets. It just looks like one of those two is going to run away with it. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting because all, I think all three of those teams play all the West coast heavy hitters and the Dodgers and giants here before the season's end. I, I weirdly now think the Braves might win the division and that's shocking because uh, besides Freed, I don't, I don't know that I can name another starting pitcher on the team. I know uh, Tukey Toussaint is back, old, old Dukey, Dukey Croissant, the poop pastry, as we call him. But uh, he's, he's actually shockingly done some yeoman's work for Atlanta and gotten them a couple wins. This guy, uh, Muller, is – it's, I don't know any of these people, but they're somehow putting forth serviceable outings and uh, giving the team a chance to win. And I mean, I really like what they did at the deadline too. They were they were kind of bargain buyers uh, in the NL, and you know they went out and got Soler, uh, which you know when he's hot, he's uh, he's a really tough out and uh it just seems like every every night recently he's hit a homer so that was a big pickup uh, getting jock earlier in the season was big for them as well and then uh you know swanson and freeman have just been holding it down phenomenally um the, the entire season so i i think it's gonna be really interesting with the mets i mean it, it all is on DeGrom and Lindor coming back, right? Like that's their only fighter's chance to get those guys back because they're just a low-T team that lacks leadership without those guys, man. They really are, especially Lindor. Like you you know Alonzo wants to be that guy, but he's just not, man. He's just not. Like five straight games without a hit, he, he talks to talk, but I'm not a Pete Alonzo believer at all. And, uh, I mean, he's going to hit his home runs, but he just strikes out a ton. Uh, and just he, he doesn't get the big hit. So uh, yeah, funny you say that because you add Baez to the team, right? Who, in my eyes, fills a very similar role. Uh, but I mean, going back to the Braves here, let's not forget. I mean, they have like Morton to Smiley, right? Like they have some competent starters, but none of the guys like you're handing Smiley the ball in in Game Five of like the NLDS, right? Uh, it's just. <laughs> The teams that they're yeah. going, like you're playing like a, a Dodgers. It's just like there's no way the bats are going to make up for that, no. right? And no. so I think they're one of those teams that like, yeah, in the NL East, they might make a run. Maybe they beat out the Phils and win the division. But it's like I, it's not a team 
I mean, and obviously it sucks for them too, like not having Soroka this year. Um, and Acuna. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, like they're missing some pieces, which sucks, but I don't know. They're a team that Everybody I see, is, man. Everybody I is see making the playoffs, but there's, I just don't see any way that they make a run. No. But maybe I'm no, wrong. I mean, Who knows? I, I totally forgot about Charlie Morton. So uh, apologies to him, but let's be honest. They're, they're, this is a one team race in the NL and the Giants story has been great, but uh, with, with Trey Turner at the top of the Dodgers lineup, I'm sorry. They're not, not making the world series. There's just no way I, I, I would be utterly shocked if the Dodgers were not playing in the world series this season. I, uh, yeah, I'm in complete agreement there. Um, hard to see them not making it. I say, so as we go through these divisions here, um, we've kind of talked about some of these teams that are far and away better than some of these other teams. And I think you and I kind of want to transition here a little bit into yeah. how to kind of go yeah, about. Go I, ahead. I was just going to say the Dodgers are kind of a perfect segue, right? Because uh, August 1st, day after the trade deadline, I think it's officially favorite season, which essentially means that favorites tend to dominate the month of August. It's dog days of summer. Uh, teams that are really contending have kind of separated themselves from the, from the pack. The teams that are not contending are kind of going into t- tank mode. Uh, it, it just feels like the discrepancy between the good teams and the bad teams gets that much wider in the month of August every year. Um, and I think the Dodgers are, are probably going to be the prime example of that, but the lines really reflect that. And that that's kind of the reason why since the turn of the month, we've seen a ton of uh, minus 200, minus 250 type of lines. So uh, I'm curious, did you look up uh, some data on, on kind of how favorites fare in August and, and why these lines are so wide? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, like you said, intuitively, it makes sense, right? Like you have the whole first half of the season, you kind of are getting a sense of who's going to be buyers, who's going to be sellers, right? And then you finally see, I mean, those last few days of the trade deadline were insane, right? And so now you really see like the full versions of these teams where you have the teams like the Dodgers, even the Yankees now, I guess, Astros, who are getting a lot of 200 minus 200 plus lines. Right. And you, we talk about it daily, but like, it seems like the last 10 days, the I mean, it's just like, there've been so many unbettable games, right? Like we, you look at the card and you're like, what am I going to play today? Right. Like there's a lot of dogs at plus plus one eighty, but they just seem unplayable. Right. So look, we looked at some things this week, kind of figure out like, how do we play these basically um, some pretty good numbers here. So, this is looking at favorites of minus 180 or higher. So like, I guess technically it's lower, right? So like minus 180 or a bigger favorite than that. Even since the year 2010, we got on the road teams that are favored minus 180 or higher have a plus 12.6 ROI. Um, that's straight up. And then plus 12.7 ROI um, on the run line. So <laughs> really like pretty big favorites. And this is just in the month of August. And just to reiterate, like a team that's going to be that high a favorite on the road, is going to be pretty much a world series contender likely versus a bottom feeder. So like 
that that basically hammers home the point that favorites tend to dominate the month of August. And let's just say like, yeah, so this year, for example, so far this month, there have been, what do we got? Seven cases of this. It's Dodgers against the Diamondbacks, Mets against the Marlins, White Sox against the Cubs, White Sox against the Cubs, White Sox against the Cubs, Rays against the Orioles, and then White Sox against the Twins. It's six and one right now, both straight up and run line. So it's, I mean, it, it gets to the point where you're right. Like usually you're seeing a good size adjustment for a home team, maybe, I don't know, 30 cents, whatever it may be, depending on the line, obviously. Um, so when you see these teams that are favored big, it's usually top five team, right? With a good starter on the mound against a bottom 10 team with a not very good starter on the mound. And so we talked a lot about this. I'm not a huge run line player, right? This is it's kind of hard for me to justify laying one and a half um, on the road. I'm a little more willing to do it because you're guaranteed nine at bats, obviously, but I mean, it's hard to figure out how to play these games, right? Like I don't just want to take the biggest favorites on the board always and lay this minus one and a half. Um, and so yeah. I guess you want to talk a little bit about like, yeah. what do you do here? So- you see all these big favorites on the road. Right. So we're going to get into like a bunch of different creative ways of how to kind of align with these big favorites without laying the juice. But before you do, I just want to mention real quick that I think along with the trend you just mentioned, the fact that this particular trade deadline was so crazy and really widened the talent gap between the World Series contenders and the bottom feeder teams more than I can ever remember in an MLB season. I think that the trend is really going to hold true uh, all throughout the month. And then it, an interesting uh, thing through your data that you pointed out is that the, the favorites dominating kind of stops at the turn of August to September historically. And it kind of makes sense because you think a lot of a lot of uh, players would have incentives in their contract to want to finish strong, hit a certain average threshold, hit threshold, RBI threshold, on-base threshold, whatever that gets them either uh, paid more in their in their current deal or gives them more ammunition for their next arbitration hearing. So I, w- I would say ride this through August, but be careful to adjust at the turn of the month. Yeah, and I think what you start to see, we've noticed in years past too, is once you get into that September month, right, the these playoff races become way more defined, right? It's like, yeah. okay, this team is this is their like the magic number, or they're like three games out of the wild card, and so you start to see these teams who are in contention throw everything they can at it, right? Like you're talking like bullpen arms, like even like starters who are like fifth, six guys, like coming out of the bullpen and relief, like things like that, where the team that really, really cares about will- winning like that's in contention will go all in on these games where it's like, you're playing the diamondbacks or the cubs. It's like, they don't care. So you start to see these minus 180 to minus 220 lines turn into like minus 250 to minus 280. Right. And so I yeah. think that's why, like you said, so those same trends, it's like half is pronounced for like, I mean, it's 3.2% ROI straight up those favorites, those minus 180 and up favorites after yeah. the month of August. So it's so quarter, a quarter is much pronounced. 
so yeah, still, still favorites are profitable, but very, very much less so. And I think it's, I think it's probably because the lines are even more inflated, right? I think that's, that's That's definitely, that's definitely a factor, but you also like get teams that want to play spoiler. And again, like teams, players on bad teams that have like personal incentives to do well, are going to really try and hit um, those, those contract incentive numbers or give them arm themselves for their upcoming arbitration hearing, whatever, but they're, they kind of look, you know, it's like in any, any uh, discipline of life, right. Or any vocation where you look at your numbers as, as the year is kind of coming to an end and you want to finish strong and, and kind of put a respectable number on the board. So I think, um, I think like a lot of the, the players on bad teams kind of get a little extra gear in that last month uh, and, and want to like ride off into their <laughs> ride off into the winter of vacationing or whatever, uh, feeling good about themselves. Yep. Yeah. And you said it earlier too, but just to reiterate that the free agency thing's a big thing as well, right? Guys renegotiating contracts at the end of the year, whatever, it's nice to have a good last month. Um, so you start to right. see, a little more effort or a little more, I guess, like, like you said, it's, it's the same thing just driven by personal, personal motivation instead of right. like, like your team's out of contention, but you still have reasons to go. But right. I guess going back to that here. So we've see these trends, I guess, like, I mean, the ROI holds up for straight up and in, in run line, but I think there's other ways to play these. I personally just could not lay higher like this 180 numbers or whatever so like how do you go about laying these things do you lay the run line or what do you do if you like some of these teams like dodgers on the road against some of these terrible teams like how do you go about playing that okay so you guys know i almost exclusively mine the player prop market a lot of the lines on player props somewhat align with you know the um the favorite or if there's a high team total, it'll, it'll kind of be um, a bit juice, but never, never as much as the actual line is. Right. So to give you an example uh, tonight, the reds were minus minus one eighty favorites at Cleveland. It's, we're taping this Monday night. And I, I thought the reds would put up some numbers today. Uh, the reds offense, against a bullpen day in Cleveland. It is a kind of a weird schedule spot, just one game against Cleveland. But um, I I definitely thought that they would do damage offensively. Now, I wasn't going to play at minus 180. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't quite love even the first half run line to play Luis Castillo on the road at minus 140, which I believe it was, or minus 130. So... I looked at uh, a few different Reds hitter props that are just a much more playable line. So this is basically as much juice as I'll ever lay on a prop, but Jonathan India, who's just an on-base machine. I mean, he's on base two times a game in his sleep. It's unbelievable. You and I have both talked about him and absolutely uh, love the kid. We we think he's going to be great. Uh, He already is as a leadoff man, but his prop to score a run tonight was minus 135. And that that's about as much juice as I'll ever lay. But 
I just thought, you know, you know, the Reds team total was set at five and a half. They ended up scoring three, but you know, like if the expected run total is five and a half, he's at the top of the lineup and is always on base. The odds of him scoring a run were really strong. So that was a good enough lean for me to play. And then uh, I also took, I also really like to mind these RBI props. These are all available on DraftKings, by the way, but um, you, you almost never see a player to record an RBI at anything but plus money. I mean, it's got to be like versus a triple A arm, um, a, a absolute MVP like caliber player in the middle of the lineup. Maybe like Tatis or Vlad type of guy um, would would maybe be minus one hundred five or minus one ten is is the lowest I've ever seen to record an RBI. But Castellanos was plus one one oh five today to record an RBI and. It kind of just went along with my thinking on India, right? He's always on base. I thought he'd have a couple of opportunities to drive him in, and he did. So, like, that – the Castellanos one especially is a plus-money play on a 5.5 run-expected team total that he's hitting in the middle of the lineup behind a guy who's always on base. I mean, to me, that's just – so much better business than laying uh, a run line that was what minus what what did the Reds run line close out today be? No clue, but it was yeah. I, mean, I think it was, it was minus one close to plus money. Yes, so you know you just save yourself forty cents, and you know player props of course run their own set of risks. Like a, a guy could always get hurt, or um, you know that, something like that. So it, it is a bit more risky for sure, but. I, I just think uh, there, there's a lot more value to be had mining player props. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, that if you want to isolate a player's hitting specifically, you can go with total bases. But I like to really read the lineup, look at kind of under, um, kind of unsung high on base guys to score runs. So, like, to give you an example, Tim Anderson yesterday against the Cubs was like minus 160 to score a run, right? But he's like a huge name. He's on base all the time. Trey Turner was the same in the Dodgers lineup. And those are like two really potent public lineups that get a lot of hype. And uh, so, so like those you might not find as much value, but someone like Jonathan India or, um, you know, like even – I know the Mets lineup is struggling, but even like a Brandon Nimmo type gets on base a lot and comes, he's got speed. Like there's a good chance he comes around to score. Kind of unsung people like that who, if they have a good pitching, uh, a good matchup against the pitcher and you think they're going to be on base a couple times, it's good to check out the uh, prop of them to score a run. What about you? Yeah, and I mean, just to even further hammer that home i think like i mean i saw that prop today you're you're one on india to score a run and i was like like that's exactly how i would have played that game right like you think about that game castillo who has been really good of late i i trust him way more at home i don't know what the numbers say this year but i just i feel way better about backing him at home obviously he started out terrible first five or six starts this year but it's been really good you think about him laying minus 180 on the road their bullpen sucks, right? Like obviously bullpen game from, from Cleveland is, you don't feel great about, but even still they're going to have the bullpen advantage at the end. 
And I don't, there's just so much that can go wrong. It's like laying 180 there is just not justifiable. But you think no. like the way your process there is you're coming up with this game script, right? Where it's like, okay, what's going to happen with the Reds lineup? You look behind India and you see guys that hit a lot of home runs, like hit for power, yeah. right? And guys that are just efficient hitters. And so it's like India is one of the best in baseball at getting on base. I think I just looked it up. I think he's fifth in the MLB right now on on base percentage behind yeah Soto who's our guy Harper Vlad Muncie and then India so one it's of the best it really is insane for him like he, at this. he's like he's totally changed that team but I, I yeah I mean that I I just wanted to talk about the tip of the iceberg then I have a whole you know separate process of looking at the lineup, looking at like how guys do versus particular team in that ballpark. Castellanos, I figured would be very comfortable in that ballpark. All his years with Detroit, he's, he hits 302 lifetime in that yard. So, um, and, and, you know, it's a Cleveland bullpen game plus pitching matchup. So I just, with, with Winker in between them, India also hits a lot of doubles. I thought maybe there's a chance he hits double. Winker can handle the bat, move the runner over. Maybe Castiano gets a uh, Castiano's gets a chance to score a runner home from third with less than two out, and that's yeah. exactly how it played out. So, like me said, you know, you you think through the different game situations of how this stuff can go. Of course, it often does not go to plan, but but uh, I mean, that's you just play the percentages, right? It's it's not. I mean, if you think about that game, right? Like, there's a couple ways to t- to play it, and I'll talk a little bit about the other one, but. I do like that angle of you, you, you totally take out the Castillo and the Reds bullpen equation, right? Which I'm like completely fine with. So now you're playing this player prop. You don't care at all how many runs Castillo gives up, whatever. Like it just doesn't matter at all. And now you just like are isolating this sequence in the lineup, right? Where you know that India gets on base a ton, walks a ton, even, even if he doesn't get a hit and he just has good guys behind him. Like I think, I mean, like you said, there's way more to it in terms of righty lefty power finesse, like other things that you're taking into account. But I do think that when people think through these games, right, like part of the process of people laying minus 180 or adding a team to their parlay is it's like, oh, like they're going to like they're going to hit this guy. Right. It's like Cleveland bullpen game. Like they're going to put up a ton of runs. Like I'm going to bet them minus 180. And then Castillo does what he does today. Right. And their team gives up nine runs. And it's like, it doesn't matter if your offensive read for the Reds was right because Castillo was so off. And I think kind of segueing into the other way to play these is team totals, um, which I know both of us play a decent amount. I haven't really played a ton this year and it's partially because we haven't gotten to these inflated lines yet. At this point, I'll probably start to play more. But one of the things that I think to touch on here as we get talking about these big favorites and team totals is you will see inflated team totals, right? Like you're going to start to see Dodgers, Yankees, Astros, like really juiced five and a half, things like that. One thing that I think is really like really important. And if you have a book that offers it is just like definitely worth your while to even go out and get a book that offers it is these first five team totals. Um, The time when it's most useful is for home teams, Obviously there's a factor of isolating against a starter, right? A team with a good bullpen or a decent bullpen, but a terrible starter. You might want to just isolate there, 
But if you're looking at a home team, so one of these big favorites, minus 220, whatever, you just want to back them to score runs in their the home team, assuming that they're going to be winning the game, right? They're minus 220, whatever. They won't bat in the bottom of the ninth. So a lot of times these team totals, you'll see like a four, like a juiced four and a half for full game. And it'll just be like, two and a half for the first five. Right. And it's like the two and a half for the first five, you're guaranteeing that they're going to get five at bats. Whereas if you play this home team for full game, there's a chance they only get eight at bats. Right. So like, why would I ever be like willing to take two more runs? Like they need to score two more runs just for those extra three half innings. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, first of all, I just want to say like philosophically, all of what we're saying is basically isolating the game variables down to their simplest form we if there's any aspect or portion of the game one pitcher one bullpen that you don't want to be in bed with gambling is has really become sophisticated enough where you can you can isolate uh exactly like you know one particular outcome that's independent of all the rest of the game outcomes and gamble exclusively on that. So like, that's what I always look for. That's kind of why I play um, uh, team totals and when, when it's a, a sadder total, I, I pretty much exclusively do team totals. But obviously my uh, real arena is player props. And I think that's like literally isolating the variables of the game to their simplest form. So. That's kind of what we're talking about here, and it's especially useful with these high favorites, as we mentioned. But going back to your point, B, just just play a little devil's advocate. I think there are some teams where a um, a team total, a full game team total, is playable even as a home team. Like the Yankees are just a much better hitting team at home. They have that short porch, especially now with, with Gallo and Rizzo. Uh, you know, when he's healthy and not on the COVID list. Plus, we talk about it all the time. It seems like every bullpen just sucks and getting, getting three bullpen innings or assuming, depending who the starter is, is always um, a good incentive. But I'm with you. I, I actually uh, got DraftKings exclusively because they had the first five team totals and it's been extremely useful in a couple spots for me. Uh, it's just isolating, isolating variables down to their simplest form. Like, like I said before, and um, you know, if there's, if there's a susceptible starter, especially now at this point in the season, a lot of young pitchers being called up to kind of eat innings and uh, non-strike thrower. I always love to target non-strike throwers. Guys who are going to walk a bunch of got a bunch of hitters is always a great place to start for uh for team totals in the first five innings, because um, you're, you're probably going to get a, a good bit of that uh, starter. And if not, it probably means that they left because they gave up a ton of runs. So it, it just seems like it, in a situation like that, scoring three or even four at plus money in the first five innings is a solid bet to look for. Yeah, absolutely. And I will add, I mean, it's the same with the run line. I'm always hesitant to play home teams run line just because of the fear. And like, you always remember the times where 
like the home team wins by one, right? And you just like don't get to bat in the ninth or if it goes to extra innings and the home team wins in extra innings, unless you get lucky with one of these home runs, walk-off home runs, they're going to win by one, you know, and especially now with the runners starting on second and it's so easy to just ground ball, pop fly, score one run. Um, yeah. I think <laughs> there's just not a lot of these like run line covers late for home yeah. teams. Um, I will say lines do adjust for it. I feel like people are really bad about like associating, like taking home and away into account, like when they're trying to like figure out just like with their brain, if a line is, has value on it or not, you know, like you look at a minus 180 team and the run line is minus 120, for example, like with the Reds today, you, you look at that and you think like, oh, like that should be lower, you know, like I'd think that would be plus 100 or something like that. Um, and part of it, obviously they're on the road, they're guaranteed nine at bats. I just looked it up cause I was curious. So since 2010 home teams, whose line is like between minus 180 to 200, their average run line is plus 110 while away teams in that same range, the minus 180 to minus 200, their average run line is minus 120. So it looks like they're taking 30 cents into account there for like getting the guaranteed at bat in the ninth inning which yeah. I think is interesting because I don't think that you see that big of an adjustment on the team totals, which is why yeah. I think that I'm more willing to play the first five there as opposed to the full game. Um, but yeah, I think it also just feels like that's not discussed at all in the baseball gambling community. Right. Like, like a 30 cent uh, accounting is pretty, pretty significant. And um, I, I feel like a lot of, Gamblers on bit in baseball will just kind of see a potent offensive team at home and be like, team total done, book it, and not even give it that much thought. But but you're absolutely right too because not getting that last at bat uh, guaranteed is is definitely a major factor. Yeah, I mean, I think there's just ways to exploit that, right? Like you said, there's so many options with player props. Do you look at home and away for player props ever? Like if the team is going to be getting absolutely that's or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a major factor. Um, but you know, like it, it's not necessarily a deal breaker. Like if I just think it's a home team, is going to kill a bottom feeder road team. I, I think uh, I'm, I'm certainly willing to play, player props and and hope that they get it done in, in the first eight innings. But, um, you know, it, it's really on a situational basis, but it, it definitely is something I look at. Yeah, I will say here. So I just looked it up too, because I was curious the um, so this is once again, since 2010, the teams that are home are winning by exactly one run 18% of the time while the teams that are on the road are winning by exactly one run 13% of the time. So I think like, <laughs> right. You see a 30 cent adjustment there and it's really only like that 5%, um, which I guess like depending on the line, you'd have to do the math, but that seems like probably an over adjustment there on people being scared of the home team only winning by one, right. When it only accounts for 5% of total results, that's probably not worth 30 yeah. cents there. So I, I don't know. What what was the time frame of that search you just did? This is 2010 on. Yeah, so I wonder what 
that those numbers would look like just in the last two years since the extra inning rule? Because that kind of changes things. That's a very good point. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of weird things to look at there, but I think like, like we said, there are ways to exploit kind of the, these lines, these minus 200 lines where you wouldn't think about playing them. Otherwise, you know, I don't know. I, the other way that I play them and the way that I've been playing them the last two weeks has been these two teamers. I, I'm kind of an anti-parlay guy, honestly. Like I don't really play them. Like I don't do the big, like three, four, five, 16 parlays, but I've gotten, I'm kind of a fan of these two team parlays where it still ends up being plus money. Like tonight I took Brewers money line, which ended up getting canceled in the Yankees. It was like plus 142. It just, I don't know. It just sits better with me. I think I don't want to lay minus 180 on a team. And just you think of like ROI, right? Like unit allocation. I don't want to have a bet on the Brewers at minus 190 and a bet on the Yankees at minus 150. That way I have 3.4 units out at risks, right? I guess the Yankees were minus 160. So like 3.5 units out at risk. Like I feel way better about only having one unit at risk. Um, And I don't know, that's another way to play them too, where you're not overexposing yourself. Like you don't want to have multiple units out on one team and like worry about brewers late bullpen collapse or something, you know? And so I think that's a good way to, to limit your risk kind of, but still like play value and play edges on some of these teams. So that's kind of where I've been going recently. I think in the next few weeks here, I might start to play some more run lines, start to play some more of these team total overs um, for the teams that I like, but Come into the player prop world, bro. I'll just let you tell me who to play there. I, I don't <laughs> I don't think I'm ready yet. We need to work on our player prop model. We've talked about it for a couple of years. We do. Um, we absolutely do. Well, we'll get that out to the people on a on a pod uh coming soon, or maybe not so soon, but at some point. <laughs> next year, 2022. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't so- know. I was just going to say, thesis of the pod is don't drink the juice. Find a way around it because there are plenty. Just dig, do the work, and uh, you can you can pretty much always find some kind of way to play a, a big favorite without obviously laying a minus 250 or 180 or, or anything like that. Uh, keep, keep the juice within reason, and uh, you can still align with that big favorite. Yep. And to piggyback off that, I feel like there's just a huge stigma on like not playing favorites, right? Like there's all this like sharp, the sharp side is always like the underdog and no one wants to play the big favorite, but I mean, we just pulled it up, right? Favorites, these big favorites in August, like plus 12% ROI over a 10 year stretch. Like this is not like, you don't have to be afraid to back these teams, right? Like there's ways to back them where you don't have to have these units at risk too. So like you said, don't be afraid to back them. Find creative ways to back them. And yeah, definitely make some money. And like we said, especially this year when the talent discrepancy is as large as I can ever remember it in baseball. So yeah, uh, ride it out till August and then September, maybe readjust. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, all baseball today, obviously over the coming weeks, we're going to have to get some guests on, start talking a little college football even start getting into basketball here but summer league baby big yeah. win for the mix today let's go absolutely 
yeah, maybe we'll have to talk summer league at some point when baseball summer gets really league. slow. At some but, point, yeah. the dog days. Absolutely. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks again to our sponsor, Shot Quality Bets, and we will see you next time. Marte drives one to left. Deep left, and-